0: this from that we're going to exegete today. And today I'd like to preach a message entitled What to Be and What Not to Be. What to be and what not to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for how practical the Bible is. Yes, Lord, it is full of deep thoughts about you it is full of rich theology about your son and about the Holy Spirit and at the same time Lord you give us practical ways that we may put into demonstration who we are because of you and with you so Lord for this month as we look at some people in scripture whose examples to follow Whose examples not to follow. I pray, Lord, that as only you can, through this living word, that you would speak to each and every one of us on what we are to apply, how we are to be, and what we are not to be. Help us to live up to what we've attained. The world wants to see, needs to see, people whose walk match their talk. So help us, God, to be honest about areas of hypocrisy in each of our lives. Help us, Lord, to not slip into performance-based acceptance, but may your grace, your mercy motivate us and transform us to live the way not only we know we can live, but the way we want to live for you. So thank you, Lord. Bless this word in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What to be and what not to be. In John chapter 8, Jesus made a very profound statement. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you what? Free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, meaning that ignorance has a way of keeping us bound. But truth has a way of giving us emancipation, of giving us freedom. But he doesn't stop there by saying you shall know the truth. He goes on and he says something else. But before I even say what else he said, when he says you shall know the truth, he's saying you shall know the word of God. Because Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, that we are to be sanctified with truth because God's word is truth. He had said that my disciples hold to my teaching. So a disciple is someone who knows the truth of God's word, holds to the truth of God's word, applies the word of God, and it's through the word of God that freedom comes. So if the enemy can keep us ignorant or even away from the word of God, he keeps us bound. But when we get in the word of God and the word of God gets in us, we have freedom. But not only that, Jesus said, In the same chapter, just a few verses down, whom the Son sets free is free what? Indeed. Indeed. So Jesus is talking about freedom, freedom that comes from truth and freedom that comes from the Son, that comes from himself. And I find it interesting that both the truth and Jesus are called the Word, The Word is truth, and Jesus is the Word, and he is truth. So Jesus and the Bible, Jesus and Scripture brings freedom into the life of his disciples. And isn't freedom what we all want? Isn't freedom what we all desire? But Jesus makes it clear once again that freedom can only come from God's Word and from God's Son. In the epistles, those are the letters to the churches. Paul lays our theological foundation for what it means to be free in Christ. So, the truth of the word gives freedom. Jesus gives freedom. Paul lays down in the epistles, the 13 letters that he has authored under the unction of the Holy Spirit, what this freedom is like. He talks about justification. We see that definitely in the book of Romans. And justification is a big word that simply, simply means we've been set free from the penalty of sin. So whom the Son sets free, Jesus, what do you set us free from? From the penalty of sin. He's come to justify us, which means he declares us as righteous based on his finished work on the cross and our faith in him. Our faith in Christ and what he has done and who he is, God declares us as righteous. He justifies us, a legal term that in the courts of heaven, we are innocent, we are free, we are justified, we are righteous before God by grace through faith in Jesus. And this justification, Strong Tower, is immediate. So when you receive Jesus as your savior, if you have not done that, today is a great day to do it. You immediately become justified, declared righteous, not guilty in the courts of heaven today, and that's immediate. But then there's another phase of salvation, and that's called glorification. And that is where we are set free from the presence of sin. So Jesus sets us free from the penalty of sin, but he also will one day set us free from the presence of sin. That's glorification, and that too is immediate. So when one closes his or her eyes here, he or she who knows Christ opens them up in glory. As a matter of fact, that thing is so much done in the mind of God that God considers it past tense, even though it hasn't happened yet in the present tense. Because in Romans, it says that those whom he justified, he also glorified past tense. So I'm already seated in heavenly places. I'm already there. I'm in the Bible. If I go to Revelation, I'm there. I'm one of the people that's dressed in white. I'm already glorified. And so in the mind of God, it's done. It's immediate. But there's this thing in between of justification and glorification, being set free from the penalty of sin, being set free from the presence of sin, and that's this thing called sanctification. Now, that isn't immediate. Uh, That is a process. Where we are being set free from the power of sin. See, I kept my peas together, you know, because I'm a rapper. I got to keep my peas together. And so sanctification is this process where daily, as I grab my cross and follow Jesus, die to myself and ask the Holy Spirit to fill me, I am becoming more and more like Jesus every day. I'm being transformed into his likeness by his grace. And this is a process. Galatians 5.1 says... It is for freedom, that Christ has set us free. So so that's this position we have. Jesus set us free so we could be free by position. But we know that with God, he's not just concerned about position. He also is concerned about practice. But true practice emanates out of position, out of our identity. Because Paul goes on to say, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So that's the practice, Galatians 5. One, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He wants us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's the practice. That's sanctification. And the process of sanctification is like a coin. And every coin has two sides. And when we think of sanctification, it's a two-sided coin. Where on one side of the coin in this process of sanctification... We need to learn how to say no. There are things we just got to say no to. And in the book of Titus, it says that God's grace appears to us teaching us to say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness. But not only the saying no, but also the saying yes. And so a lot of us, we grew up with an emphasis in our Christian heritage of what we can't do. No, 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 no. But we don't know what we can do and what we're free to do. And so... We just don't say no. We also learn how to say yes. It's a turning from, but also a turning to. So sanctification is a two-sided coin. There are things I need to stop doing, and there are things I need to start doing. That's the process. And because of the old nature, that's my flesh, that part of me that still identifies with Adam. I still commit sin. Oh, yeah, because I'm a Christian. That doesn't mean I don't commit sin. But because I am a Christian, that means I can't live in sin, and that's a completely different thing. Committing sin, we commit sin. If anyone thinks that he has a sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. That's in 1 John. But also in 1 John, he talks about there's a seed of righteousness that's in you, which means that you just can't live in sin. Paul hits that in Romans chapter 6 when he's talking about sanctification. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? I commit it, but I can't live in it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, he's a person. I grieve him when I'm disobedient. I quench his fire when I'm disobedient. He convinces me when I'm wrong. And so if I have a relationship with God, I just can't stay in this kind of place of prolonged disobedience. Because the most miserable person in the world is the Christian who knows what he or she ought to do but isn't doing it. Which is why James says, for him who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it is sin. So the Holy Spirit is calling me upward, but my flesh is pulling me downward. And so every day, throughout the day, I must trust and submit to God and say, Lord, help me. I want to live for you. So this sin thing, it's, it, 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 it's a condition. It's a condition. It's, it's in my members' But it's still also a choice. It's a condition. So it keeps me humble. As soon as I may start thinking I'm a little, you know, know, I get a little self-righteous. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm reminded very quickly of the condition that's still in me that humbles me. But also I can't use that as an excuse because I've got Jesus in me and the power of God. The the, the spirit that raised him up from the dead is alive in me. So I am to live like who I am. What am I? Victorious. What am I? A conqueror. So there's this juxtaposition all day, every day, throughout the day. We talked about it Wednesday night about being filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. But as my brother-in-law Gary likes to say, as we get filled with the spirit, we also can spring a leak from time to time. We get filled, we spring a leak. We get filled, we spring a leak. But it's the relationship, the ongoing relationship. And this thing about sin, that when Jesus came into my life, my relationship to sin changed. Before I met Jesus, sin was like the engine in my life, if, if this were a locomotive. Sin was the engine in my life. It, it drove me. But when I met Jesus, he became the engine. He changed my heart. But sin went from being the engine to the caboose still holding on. It's still holding on. But I got a different engine now. I got a different want to, a brand new mindset now. But sin is still resident in my members. So sanctification is a process. So Christians, uh, Paul loves to give us these comparative illustrations. He he loves for us to be able to contrast what we were without Christ and who we are with Christ. And from that, he's like, choose and live like who you are. Because without Christ, you were darkness, Ephesians 5. But with Christ, you are light in the Lord, Ephesians 5. Live like light, not like darkness. He goes on to say, I got to give you all another comparative contrast. Put, Put off the old man and put on the new man. Uh, he, he, He says, you're no longer in Adam, you're in Christ now. And so over and over, he'll say to Christians, don't sleep like you don't know God. No, be awakened because you do know God. You're not dead, you're alive. So he uses these comparisons over and over again so that we might choose. Because one of the things that God has given us that's very powerful is the ability to choose. In the Old Testament, he said to the Jews, I lay before you blessings and cursings. You must choose which one you want. And with God, he, he, we, we can't fool him. We're, we're going to reap what we sow. And if we sow to the flesh, we'll from the flesh reap corruption. But if we sow to the spirit, we'll reap life. So choose wisely. And for a Christian, technically, I don't have a choice except to obey, except to do what he says to do. But my flesh is always fighting. So, this goes on every day. So, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul compares and contrasts some common things. Some common things. He's going to compare and contrast in 2 Timothy 2 common things, things that are in your house. He's coming in your house, and by the authority of the word, I'm coming in your house right now. He's going to compare utensils in your house, he's going to compare dishes. In your house. Uh, if I come to your house today and I have lunch with you, I would hope you would set out your best crockery dishware that you have. But if I come today and you set out paper plates, <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, and if it's just us, you know, not, not a bunch of people, and you don't want to do a lot of dishes, but, but it's just me. And you set out the paper plates, and then I look over to the cabinet, and I see fine china. That tells me how you feel about a brother <laughs> giving me plastic cups. I want the, cup, I want the glass that got the, the nice ridges on it. Why can't I get that? Give me a red cup. <laughs> the red cup, plastic plates, or the stuff you eat on every day, that's the common stuff, you know. But, but, but most of us have that good stuff, that set-apart stuff that we don't touch every day, but we pull out for special occasions and special people. And that's all Paul is saying, that in a house, you've got some utensils made of gold and silver. That's the good stuff. But you also got some made of wood and clay. That's the everyday stuff. And he's saying to us, I want you to be these special vessels, not these common vessels. He's saying what we ought to be and what we should not be. Before I read the passage, let me give you the background. Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege, one of his sons in the ministry, who is the pastor over the church in Ephesus. Ephesus. When we talk about the church in Ephesus, we're not talking about one particular body, definitely not a building. They didn't have church buildings in the first century. No, the church was a people. It was a movement. It was in a city. So the believers may have met in different homes, but they were one church in the city of Ephesus. Uh, uh, Paul had placed Timothy over that region, over that church in the city. And one of the things he had to do was not only to, to teach and lead by example, but also he would get these letters From his spiritual father, the Apostle Paul, who was authorized by Jesus. And he would read these letters to the church in Ephesus. He would interpret what the Apostle meant. And so they were getting instruction. So Paul writes to Timothy. Second Timothy is a letter from Paul to Timothy, who's over the area in Ephesus. And one of the things that Paul wants to talk about is false teaching matter of fact, there are false teachers in Ephesus. And Paul is so bold in the Lord, he's going to call these folk by name. We're going to read who who, who they were. So he's saying to Timothy, you've got to beware of false teachers. They're not only dispensing false teaching, but they are also displaying ungodly, iniquitous behavior. So you got to watch out for these kind of people. Their teaching and their lifestyle were off. Watch out for them. So Paul admonished Timothy to beware of two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Beware of them. Do not be with them, and surely do not be like them. But that's easier said than done. Because it's one thing to talk about Hymenaeus and Philetus, but they also had their own disciples. They also had the people that they influenced with their false teaching, which we'll talk about in a moment. And when you have false teachers giving false teaching to their disciples who claim to be a part of the church in Ephesus, what you have now is you have them blending in to the church, blending in to the body. Now watch this. These people that are blending in are pretenders. Pretenders are blenders. Pretenders, fake folk. Who say they saints, but they ain't. Uh-huh. They not only deceive others, they deceive themselves. Because in every church, you've got the hots, but in every church, you also have the knots. You got folks that sing hymns, then you got folks that don't even know him. Ah, and so in Ephesus, you had some pretenders blending in with the contenders. Oh, man, did you hear the rhyme? Did you hear the rhyme, The, the blenders? Because they're pretenders, but in every church you got contenders, just like you got pretenders. All right, let me keep on rolling. You didn't hear the rhyme. You didn't. I'm trying to be like Thomas III. Holy, holy, holy. I'm trying to be like Thomas Third. Pretenders have existed in every era of Christendom, starting with Jesus. So listen to this. Listen to this. Jesus said that for every sheep, there is a wolf in sheep's clothes. Okay? For every good tree bearing good fruit, you have a bad tree bearing bad fruit. Jesus said that for every sheep on the right hand, you got a goat on the left hand. Jesus said that for every piece of wheat, every stalk of wheat, there is also a tear that has been sown with the wheat. And when he tells that parable in Matthew chapter 13, he's saying that a farmer went out and planted some wheat, but the enemy came at night and planted tear. They both grew up together. Now, here's the deal the wheat and the tear look just alike from a distance. Till you walk up on it and you realize that the wheat has something the tear doesn't, and that is wheat, the kernel of wheat. The tear looks like it has wheat, but under further investigation, it has no kernel. It it does not have wheat, the grain within it. And so Jesus says that you can't separate them by just looking at them. Because the worker said, should I go and remove the tear?" And, And the Lord said, don't do that because you might pull up some of the real ones while you're trying to disseminate and get rid of the fake ones. Leave them there until judgment day. Leave them there. And, and what will happen is the father will take the tear and, and, and bind them up because you can't fool him. You, you might be able to fool the workers, but you can't fool the farmer, God, in heaven. And he'll take the tear and throw them into the bur- into the fire where they'll burn. And he'll take the weed and he'll bind them up and put them in his house. So what's the point? Jesus is saying that you've always got pretenders and contenders because for every Peter... There is a Judas. And nobody knew Judas was the betrayer until Judas showed up in the garden with the mob to arrest Jesus. So that means he had everybody fooled except Christ. Even when Jesus said the person who dips after me is the one, Judas dips, nobody even think is him. But Satan entered him at that table of communion. And when he left out, they thought he was going out to do business because he had the money. And he was helping himself to it, stealing out of the money pot, the ministry pot. And when he left, they just thought he was doing business. Nobody knew he was the deceived one. Nobody knew he was the betrayer because he was that good. So when I start studying stuff like this, I'm not trying to point a finger. I'm pointing a thumb. I'm not trying to hold up a microscope. I'm holding up a mirror and I'm checking myself. Where do I stand with God? Because Paul said it's good for us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. So put the microscope and the mirror on yourself and say, am I really born again? Because if I'm really a follower of Jesus, my walk and my talk are going to match up. What I am On Sunday is what I am on Monday. What I am in the light is what I am in the darkness. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect. But man, he's changed and is changing my heart. And he's working in me to want what he wants and to do what he wants me to do. I'm a changed person. I'm born again. I'm not the same. Okay, that's the background. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll begin reading at verse 14. If you don't have a word, it's on the screen. But don't get lazy and stop bringing your Bible, because we put it up on the screen for you. Because I may run to something that's not on the screen. And and if you got your phone, I know you're scrolling for scriptures, not through Facebook. Can the church say amen? Uh, The Lord just heard you now. The Lord just heard you. Don't, Don't lie now. Don't lie. Let's stay focused. I'm reading from the New King James. I'll begin reading in verse 14. Paul tells this young preacher, remind them, who's them? The faithful ones. I poured into you, Timothy, and I want you to pour into them, to these faithful ones that, that can teach others. So remind these faithful folks of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. In other words, don't be out playing verbal gymnastics about religious things and the kingdom of God. Uh, don't be arguing with people about the kingdom. No, no, don't, don't, don't do all that stuff because the people who are listening won't be profited if you get into arguments with people, which is what false teachers like to do. Hold on. Verse 15, what am I supposed to do? Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. This is Awana. This is the Awana theme verse for our children every Wednesday night. Approved workers are not ashamed. Children are learning how to cut and divide the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, uh, uh, the, 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 the wisdom literature, the epistles, prophetic words, and, 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 and they're learning the word. They're memorizing the word. What about us adults? Do we really know this book? Are we studying this book? Or do we only open it on Sundays? We, we, we can't even have a discussion with somebody because we don't really know what we believe. And then we become cult bait. When they come saying stuff, we get blown around by every wind of doctrine because we aren't rooted in truth. If the only time you get truth is when I preach, you're a babe in Christ. It's okay to be a babe. You know, we all got to start somewhere. We all got to be on milk. Paul said in the writer of Hebrews, it's time to go from milk to meat. It's time to get out of the ABCs and get into some higher learning. You got to cut and divide. Get you a commentary. Man, man, get you a concordance. Study the word. So that when you go through something, you ain't got to call somebody, can you give me a word? No, get your own word when you get in your own word. Oh, Lord, oh, I got to get back on track. That was a detour. Help me, God. So we go back to the text, verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. The King James Version says like a canker. The NIV says like gangrene. I'll talk about that in a moment. So these false teachers, their message spreads. It it contaminates, and he's going to give their names. Here we go. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. Stop and pause. If you're Hymenaeus and Philetus in Ephesus and the apostle calls you out in the scroll that arrived in town, you're either going to repent or further rebel. But Paul is letting it be known here now, you bold with that unrighteousness, we're going to be bold with righteousness. We're not just going, you know, say, watch out for the false teachers. No, Paul said, we know who you are, Hymenaeus and Philetus. What if we started doing that today? (laughs) Calling out folk by name. Well, hold on, I may hit a few before this sermon's over. We'll see. (laughs) He said, uh, verse 18, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of some. So look at their doctrine. They're saying the resurrection is past. The Jews believed that there would be a resurrection at the end, namely when the Messiah would come and the dead would rise. And and they were saying that already happened. Y'all missed it. So in other words, live however you want to live. You don't miss the resurrection. There's nothing left but living in the earth or being worldly or carnal or fleshly, ungodly. You've missed the resurrection. So here's what the false teachers do. They not only say false doctrine, but they support errant living. So so if you're trying to wonder if someone is a true teacher or a false teacher, you got to look at how they live and what they promote. It amazes me how these guys that come around talking about they are the Messiah, like David Koresh have a harem of young teenage girls. Well, these guys in the Mormon church who claim to be some great leader, but again, they have multiple wives. Or they're stealing money. So just don't listen to what people say. Yeah, yeah examine it, but also watch what they do. And that's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Watch what they do, not just what they say so these are false teachers and their bad doctrine is affecting people but Paul says nevertheless in verse 19 the solid foundation of God stands having this seal the Lord knows those who are his so if you really belong to God God knows who you are Mm, he knows those who are his because he can differentiate between the tear and the wheat between those who are faking and those who are real. And then it goes on to say, the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Because there's something about Jesus and holiness that go together. Don't say you walk with Jesus, but you're walking in iniquity. Intentional iniquity. Where you're robbing folk and taking advantage of people. Uh Uh-uh. You might fool some of the people some of the time, but you'll never fool God any of the time. Verse 20, but in a great house, that could speak of church, okay? Church has been called a household of faith. But in a great house, a great church, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. So in every church, you got some real people, And some fake people. He's going to even hit you and say, some for honor, some for dishonor. What's the point? Hymenaeus and Philetus are like the wood and the clay. They are dishonorable, yet they're in the house. Paul and Timothy are like the gold and silver utensils, and they're in the house. So for the church listening to this word read to them, they have a choice to make of what to be and what to not be, who to be with, who not to be with. I want to be with gold and silver Christians or China Christians. I don't want to be with or be like wood or clay Christians or paperware Christians. I want to be like who I am. I want to be a child of God. Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, what's the latter? The dishonor, the wood and the clay. Cleanse yourself from Hymenaeus and Philetus. What happens? He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. Oh, there it is. Set apart from ungodliness, Sanctification means to be set apart. You know why you're set apart? Because you're set apart positionally. So be set apart in your practice. So set yourself apart from these vessels of dishonor. What will happen when you do that? Verse 21, you will be useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So what does all this mean, Pastor Chris? Well, cleanse yourself from being like Hymenaeus and Philetus, whose doctrine is errant and whose walk is off, be like Paul and Timothy, whose lifestyle matches their doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.16, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he said to, to the young preacher, he said, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. For in doing so, you will not only save yourself, but everyone who hears you. In other words, people want to follow a leader who not only teaches it right, but who lives it well? Not someone who can hoop and holler. Oh, yeah, but you got to make excuses for your pastor when you're in Walmart. I heard your pastor, man, he got a harem of my girls. I heard your pastor stealing. I heard you. And, and now listen, just because somebody accuses doesn't mean it's right. I've had false accusations levied at me. But if you know me well, or any leader, elder, deacon around here, you're like, no, them brothers and sisters are above reproach. They're not perfect, but they are above reproach. That's a lie. And you don't want to have to be covering for your leaders and making excuses for your leaders. That is, unless you want to live a life of compromise yourself. I find that people go to churches where leadership is compromised because they want to live a life of compromise. Because how can a leader tell you to stop doing something when the leader's doing the very same thing that you're doing? <laughs> uh, you'll get that when you go home. You'll, you'll be in a car be like, oh, I got that one. So we got to have a standard of holiness and godliness in the church. And if your leaders can't exemplify that, then how in the world are the people going to exemplify that? And so cleanse yourself, Paul says, from being like these folks. And and, and when I started thinking, okay, now now they're dealing with this, this belief that they believe the resurrection had already come and gone. It was a form of Gnosticism. Can't get too deep into that right now. But a Gnostic was someone who believed that you could be all right in your spirit, but do whatever you wanted to do with your body. In other words, you're going to heaven so you can live like hell till you get there. That's basically Gnosticism. And so when I think about what's going on today, some of the errant doctrines that we need to be aware of. We need to watch out for the Mormons. We love them. Many of them are sincere people, but you can be sincere and sincerely wrong. Because whenever we think about false doctrine, we're talking about people who deny the person of Jesus, who degrade the work of Jesus, and who distort the words of Jesus. And in Mormonism, they deny the person of Jesus. He's just one of many gods. In Jehovah's Witness, they say that Jesus was a god that was created by Jehovah. No, no, no. You are denying the person of Jesus. And when you get down with all of these religions, whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Baha'i, at the root of it is works-based acceptance. They got to work in order to appease their deity so it goes back to them and what they can do and what they won't do and and, and they got to have this hygiene and this diet and they got to follow these pillars and they, they got to do 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 and who gets the glory you do but in christianity though god comes to us in christianity We're not talking about religion where we're searching for God or trying to appease God. In Christianity, God searches for us, and he appeases himself through the death of his son on the cross. And those of us who accept Jesus, we're born again. We're made right with God, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's only because of his mercy that we're saved. So it's a different mindset. I don't work to get saved, but I work because I am. So my works, my lifestyle matches my profession. Because I can't say that I choose him and I just live like hell. No, 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 that don't work either. There are a lot of Christians or professing folks who think that because they prayed a prayer, they're going to heaven. But you don't see any evidence of that prayer of salvation in their life. They might be a tear. Or they might be, they just haven't grown up yet. That's why we won't know till Judgment Day. The only person I know who's saved in this room is moi, me. I believe my wife is saved, but, but, but you know. (laughs) We're going to get to heaven and be surprised over who's not there. Where my homie at? He didn't make it. Then we'll be surprised over who is there. What? That dude? (laughs) That's why you better check yourself. Where do you stand with Jesus? Do you know him? Is he in your life? Is he changing your life? Do you love him? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? Is he your God? If not, today is the day of salvation. Because he said, there's a road that goes to hell and there are many people that are on it. But the road that goes to heaven is straight and narrow and only few are on it. There are going to be people who come before him on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. But we see in this passage, God knows those who are his. So if you really belong to him, he knows who you are. And you know that you know that you know that you know. Ow! Oh, you know! Oh, I know them, boys again his spirit has borne witness with my spirit that i'm a son of god i'm saved man even on days when i don't feel like it but i'm not saved by my feelings i'm saved by faith i'm not saved by my works i'm saved by the work that he accomplished on calvary when he shed his blood that's the gospel that's the good news it's about him it's not about me So in that church, watch out for anybody that wants to take credit and glory away from Jesus. Cleanse yourself from being with these false teachers because they cause contamination. Their message spreads like cancer in the New King James. Or a canker in the King James or gangrene in the NIV. A canker, i.e. a canker sore, is a fungal disease or ulcerous condition. I used to hate getting canker sores in high school because they would say, "Oh, you got herpes." <laughs> I ain't by myself, Emma. You know, they they, they would they would get on you, and you you know trying to cover your mouth and hey, how y'all doing? And <laughs> canker. So and that and that fungus can spread. It's a corrupting influence that's difficult to eradicate. The Greek word is gangrene, so the NIV is closer to the right interpretation. Gangrene is the death of body tissue due to obstructed circulation, which is usually followed by decomposition of the toes, the fingers, and limbs. In other words, when oxygen is not getting down to the feet or to the hands or to the limbs, it begins to decompose, to deteriorate. It becomes dark and blackened. Blood is not flowing there. And if you're not careful, when the disease begins to set in the gangrene, it can spread to healthier parts of your body. And so in some cases, the only thing that can help the situation is amputation, which is why people who have congestive heart failure and diabetes, their feet lose the circulation and amputation occurs because the skin dies and, 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 and again, it doesn't look good. It doesn't smell good. And you have to cut off what decays. And what he's saying about these folk. Are is that what they teach is spreading around the church like cancer. Which is why Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Because what they teach, that, that little pinch of error, it'll spread. And you got to know how to deal with leaven, false teaching in your church. And so he's ending by saying, what do you want to be like? Do you want to be like Paul and Timothy or you want to be like Hymenaeus and Philetus? Choose. So just on the basics, man, be people who stand for the truth and live the truth. Cleanse yourself from folks like that. What do you want to be? A vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor? A vessel of gold or silver or a vessel of wood or clay? And before I close, let me say this about the coronavirus. We don't know what's going on right now. But one of the things we don't want to do is subscribe to prejudice and hysteria, and fear. Okay? What I have read thus far is that they said, the best thing you can do is not wearing masks, is constantly washing your hands. And if you have to cough, cough into your hand, wash your hands. But see, something is starting to look like it's going to spread. And people are becoming frightful. And we're praying, Lord, heal this, stop this, raise up people, because disease festering kills. Disease in a church can kill a church. So we have to make a decision. We got, we got to call stuff out, which is why any leader that we have in this church, there are certain basics of the faith that they must adhere to. If they don't adhere to the basics of the person and work of Jesus and the authority and inerrancy of Scripture, you can't teach here. We might not even let you join here. We got to test the spirit, see where your heart is. Pastor, why are you giving us all this right now? Because in weeks to come, we're going to talk about what to be and what not to be. Next week, we're going to talk, be like Titus. Don't be like Alexander the coppersmith. We may preach a message, be like Joseph who fled from immorality. Don't be like Judah who walked right into immorality. Uh, Be like Abigail who served. Don't be like Nabal who was a fool. We're just going to walk through and we're going to step back and say, what am I going to be today? I want to be like this vessel of honor as opposed to a vessel of dishonor. Stand with me, Strong Tower, and let's pray. If STBC is going to be stronger than ever and stronger together in our 25th year, each person in this quote-unquote great house must decide to be a vessel of honor. I know that's what I want to be. And vessels of honor are useful to our master and prepared for every good work. Yes, Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we take self-inventory. Not only where are we with salvation, because I know, Lord, the majority of us in this room, we know you. But I think we need to go deeper and say, where do I need to grow? What changes do I need to make? Where have I been comfortable with compromise? What besetting sin have I made excuses for and justifications for? Oh God, how have I grieved your spirit and quenched his fire? Where does my language need to change? Where do some of my friendships need to change? Some of my activities. Some of the things in my heart like Pride and bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness that I've been holding. Lord, I know you're calling me to grow, which means to give that stuff to you. We're just not content, Lord, to go to heaven. We thank you for that. But we want to see your kingdom come until we get there. We want to live heaven. So might we be honest, Lord, with where some contamination has gotten in, some compromise, or even some bad doctrine? Help us to have sound, healthy doctrine. Help us to not try and argue with people the the Bible. And and definitely, Lord, let us stay away from any teaching that seeks to take away from Jesus and what he's accomplished. May we not slip into works and performance and and all that rule-keeping. No, God, may, may the gospel set us free. Free indeed. But may we not use freedom to entangle Lord, there's so much. Lord, I planted the seed. I pray it fell on some good ground today. And might we go home and dialogue with you and interact with the text and read and study and ask ourselves, where are we with you? And in this house, Lord, I want to see some bling-bling in this house. From the pulpit to the back door, all gold and all silver, because of your grace. We love you and we thank you. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling, to present his faultless before his throne with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Have a blessed day. Have a blessed day.